The Outlet. The Talk of Wanaka. I guess the first people that came through the business were mainly over the school holidays. The summer holidays were the only really uh, busy time uh, in New Zealand tourism back then. So obviously three terms back then. So you had busy summer holidays, Easter holidays weren't so bad. Winter holidays were pretty slow up until, I guess, down here anyway, Triple Cone and Cardrona sort of got going. Cardrona was in the sort of early early to mid-80s. Welcome to The Outlet. I'm your host, Brent Harbour. And in this podcast, I talk to Duncan Spear, the Marketing and Operations Manager for Puzzling World Wanaka, who is celebrating 50 years as an iconic visitor attraction. We chat about how the idea of Puzzling World came about, where ideas for new illusion rooms come from, and importantly, what's the design for the cake to celebrate 50 years? Local voices, local info, the outlet, the talk of Wanaka. Let's check out a local event on in Wanaka, brought to you by Liquorland 3 Parks, there for your next event with Unreal Deals. The much-anticipated Wanaka Bear Festival is back Saturday, December 2nd from 12pm to 6.30pm at the A&P Showgrounds in Wanaka. Now, this event is a must-attend for bear enthusiasts, food lovers and anyone looking to kickstart their summer in style. All the info and links can be found by clicking on the Things to Do button, then what's on, on the Wanaka app. Puzzling World came into existence in 1973. I caught up with Duncan Spear, the Marketing and Operations Manager, about the original idea, illusion rooms and future plans. G'day Duncan, welcome to the Outlet Podcast. Hi Brent, thanks very much, great to be here. Could you give me a bit of the history of Puzzling World and how it all began with Stuart and Jan's vision? Yeah sure, so I guess from the beginning really. So Stuart Lansborough, my father-in-law, he came over to this side of the globe as what they call a 10 pound pom in the late 60s. So went uh, left England and, and sailed over to Western Australia. He worked on the mines and sort of the outback pubs over there for the summers and then uh, went across to the Victorian ski fields for winter. Did that for a few seasons. Then he decided to come over to New Zealand where he got a job at the uh, Mount Cook THC, which is, of course, now the Hermitage. Then he met Jan, his future wife there. She was working as a, a waitress. They then got called down to the Wanaka THC, which is now, of course, the Wanaka Hotel, where Stu got the job as the head steward. Then, I guess, after working there for a while, they could sort of see that, you know, tourism in, in Wanaka was, was certainly, I guess, growing steam. You know, they sort of thought they wanted to, to sort of get in on that. They wanted to be their own bosses. And, you know, given that, I guess, tourism was sort of one area that they had some experience in um, by that stage, they sort of thought, you know, that's probably a, a good area to get into. The Haas Pass was almost paid by that stage. Wide-body jets were coming through Auckland and Christchurch by then. Queenstown Airport was expanding. A triple cone was about to open as a ski field for commercial use. Really, things were starting to sort of gather steam, so they thought they'd, they'd want to sort of get on on that. So they opened up the maze December the 22nd, 1973. They banded around a few ideas before they came into a maze. Yeah, I mean, they sort of decided that, you know, again, they wanted to build something that was relatively uh, inexpensive something that they could you know try for a while and if it didn't pan out then it wouldn't be too cost prohibitive to sort of start again and you know they wanted to do something that, that was a bit different you know the, really their whole idea was create something where tourists are on holiday to create happiness so they wanted to basically grow a business that would entertain people something that's a bit different so really we've always had uniqueness as, as part of our key mantra and that, that's still the case now you know every time we think of a of a development to add, we, we don't really just sort of look to see what's been done. We try to invent something new because, I guess, unfortunately, in our, 
industry copycat uh, operations are coming up all the time and, and really the last decade especially uh, we've seen a massive growth in uh, businesses that are sort of copying what we do unfortunately on the other side of that the, the silver lining is that it sort of you know makes us create new things which we're all about and uh, about to do something very cool very unique which I'll talk to you later on about I'm sure that's great now I have been lost in the maze I have to admit Duncan and I did use the cheat doors okay but the design for the maze is pretty unique isn't it yeah so uh, you know, Stu grew up in Hampton in London, so very near the Hampton Court Palace maze. So I guess as a child, he, w- he would have been able to see how popular mazes were as, as an, a, an attraction. And so, you know, uh, to go back a step, when they were thinking of ideas, you know, the whole idea of a maze sort of came upon them. And, and you know, I guess, you know, that was for, it's good to Stu to sort of hark back on his memories there and, and go for something there. But most mazes of the world are just sort of random designs. They don't really make a lot of sense or else they're just basically unicursal patterns that just sort of follow one direction and finish in the middle so he decided fairly early on that you know the maze that he was going to design or that they were going to design was basically going to get people around the whole of the maze wouldn't be too easy wouldn't be too hard obviously but people would be in there for a, you know a length of time that they felt was good value and enough of a challenge so he would literally stand in the middle of the maze on some blocks of wood and actually watch where people would go in the maze and then design it accordingly so he designed these things called gates or valves, dead ends, obviously. All, as I say, basically designed to keep people in there for that sort of 45-minute period, which is sort of about long enough for people to sort of, uh, you know, feel they've had a, a good run on it and, you know, enough of a challenge that if they want a really hard maze, they've, they've sort of got that element to it as well or they want to sort of cheat and get out early, then at least uh, they can do that too and sort of get on their way. I got lost in the Hampton Court maze as well with the family, I have to tell you. All right. <laughs> I've not, I've not, I've been to the the palace before, but I never went to the maze, unfortunately. So I must go there one day. You can sort of see why Stu and Jan decided not to sort of build it with the hedge maze because they take a good eight years to sort of grow to the right sort of density uh, to make it worthwhile. So that's why they decided to build their their maze with wood. So I mean, you know, it sort of took six weeks from go to woe to build the maze. Can you tell me about the first tourists who visited Puzzling World and how you plan to celebrate and commemorate their role? I guess the first people that came through the business were mainly over the school holidays. You know, the summer holidays were the only really uh, busy time uh, in New Zealand tourism back then. So obviously three terms back then. So you had busy summer holidays, Easter holidays weren't so bad. Winter holidays were pretty slow up until I guess down here anyway, Triple Cone and Cardrona sort of got going. Cardrona was in the sort of early early to mid-80s. The, the first tourists were generally domestic tourists, you know, that were coming here on those summer school holidays. Like, I guess, tourism in general has always suffered a little bit from these macroeconomic shocks. So no sooner had the business sort of opened up than we had sort of uh, one of those Gulf Wars, which sort of plunged the country into into oil crises and, and um, you know, car-free days and things like that. So that sort of put a, b- a bit of a dent in tourism for the first year or two, followed by other things. It's really been mainly the, the Kiwi customers that the business sort of lived and breathed for for the first few years. And then once the sort of the package tourists came from overseas, and as I say, once the West Coast route opened up to be more easier, linkage between West Coast and Queenstown, that's when international sort of came through. We're now sitting at about, it's about 50-50 our, our international to domestic market uh, throughout the year. So we will be celebrating by having a community fun day on December the 17th, where our front lawn will be playing host to food trucks. We'll have musicians out there, we'll have some lawn games, just lots of fun on the front lawn. And then inside the business itself, we'll be opening up our, our brand new illusion room, which will be launched that day. Uh, all going well and we'll be also offering 50% off all our tickets as well so that's that's scheduled for December the 17th so it's a Sunday 
So first weekend of school holidays. Oh, that's brilliant. So can you tell me about some of the rooms at Puzzling World and where the ideas come from? Obviously, you've got the new Illusion Room coming up too. Whenever Stu and Jan would travel overseas, they would sort of, I guess, keep their eyes open and, and you know, go to these science museums and, and exhibitions and, you know, take some learnings from these things. There are also unique ideas, you know, ideas that Stu has taken from trinkets that, that he's been given or, or, or that he's bought or, or whatever and sort of taken in, into an illusion room idea and expanded the concept. I guess the example of that would be the following faces illusion room. So, you know, he was given this concave porcelain face as a gift from his brother many years ago from a shop in England. And he then sort of thought, well, you know, if it was to shine light behind the face, make it with opaque plastic so that you can, so it shines the light through and cast, you know, shadows, would that improve the illusion? And sure enough, it did. And so, you know, he designed a room of 168 faces that they'd see when he follow you and I left and right, up and down. And so that's, you know, a, a, an illusion room unique to us. The Ames Illusion Room, it's not, not a new one, but we've made it much larger than any other room in the world. You know, obviously we've got the Scott Illusion Gallery, which is our fifth illusion room at the moment. And, you know, we sort of commissioned a whole lot of sculptors and artists to come up with unique illusionary sort of sculptures and, and artworks and things. And that, that's what sort of takes quite a place up there. And then, you know, as, as you come back through as well, you know, Japan was a, a good source of, information. Stu was over there in the 1980s where he designed a whole lot of uh, mazes under contract and so he used you know time off to visit science museums over there and, and, and saw how popular uh, things like holograms were or you know the Tilted House illusion for instance you know. There's been some ideas that have been borrowed and, and expanded on and, and you know it's um, been fun to sort of be part of that and also help sort of you know keep that sort of mode of growth going. Do you have a favourite room Duncan? I do I mean I, I mentioned the Scott Illusion Gallery because that's that's sort of our baby. So Heidi and I, who took the business over um, almost 20 years ago now, obviously our ideas were to come in here with fresh eyes and, and uh, you know not only redevelop what's here already, but also keep expanding what's the business all about. And so we added the Sculpt Illusion Gallery uh, about 10 years ago now, delayed by the uh, GFC, you know, again, one of those macroeconomic shocks that we sort of had to factor in a little bit. So that's a very large space um, that not only offers us awesome circulation of, of customers because obviously as the business has gone over three to 50 years we've just had more and more customers coming through so we we've always been aware of people in the busy busy times of the year you know not become too sort of um, claustrophobic and shoulder to shoulder through the room so it was nice to build a room of you know 600 meters squared sort of thing to allow good circulation through uh, it also allows us really nice venue space as well so we use it quite a bit for evening events that's by, by far my favourite, but we have got a new illusion room coming up in, in two or three weeks' time, which I'm sure will be awesome as well, so looking forward to that. Are you having a 50th anniversary birthday cake, and do you know what the design's going to be? We are, so we're using Clear from Wanaka Cakes again, so Clear is an ex-staff member actually, and we got her on board to make our 40th anniversary cake 10 years ago, and she did this incredible design that used a matchstick model of the maids that Stu and Jan used all those years ago to sort of take in front of council before they built the business. And so she designs a cake based around that. Just fantastic. So yeah, so she's got the job for the 50th cake as well. And I cannot tell you what our design is because as yet it is undecided. Oh, that sounds great. Oh, it's just a fantastic place, Puzzling World. So can you tell me where people can go online to find out more about Puzzling World and book their tickets? If you go to puzzlingworld.co.nz or even puzzlingworld.com, there's a tickets button there. But look, bear in mind, you don't actually need to buy tickets yet. You can come um, you know, at the front counter and buy tickets on arrival. No problems at all. But as I say, if you want to join us and get 50% off your ticket, then December the 17th, 
is the day to come and see us. There'll be lots of fun things on, on the front lawn to do and, and uh, hopefully the weather is going to be as lovely as it's today. I'm sure it will be. And uh, yeah, we will be we looking forward to sort of welcoming all the locals and, and uh, you know, have, have a great day. And then that night, have a have a big night with our VIPs who are coming down to join us as well. Congratulations on 50 years of puzzling, Will Duncan. And I really appreciate your time today. No, all good. Thanks very much. The Outlet. Jobs Board. Here are some of the jobs you'll find listed this week on the Wanaka app. Thanks to New World 3 Parks for when it's your job to do the grocery shopping. Yellow are looking for night taxi drivers. There are many different options available, from one night a week to as many as you wish, and that includes weekends. Night shifts start at 4pm and vary in length. Community Networks Link are looking for a community project coordinator to join their team. This position provides you with a chance to cultivate connections and see projects evolve from their initial stages to successful completion. Responsibilities include coordinating projects, leading volunteers, supporting community activities and organising community events. And Lakeside Apartments are looking for someone to clean their outside area, pool and stairwells. The hours are 8am to 11am Monday, Wednesday and Friday and it would suit someone happy to work solo, who's fit and who wants to top up their hours. There's these jobs and more when you click on the Jobs button on the navigation bar of your Wanaka app. On Buzzsprout, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. The Outlet. The talk of Wanaka. Thanks for listening to The Outlet, your local interview and information podcast for Wanaka. If you do have a story or an interview you think should be featured on the Outlet podcast, get in touch by using the contact button on the navigation bar of your Wanaka app. The Outlet is produced and published by the Wanaka app and supported with funding from the New Zealand Public Interest Journalism Fund. All episodes of The Outlet are available in the podcast section of your Wanaka app.